we're going to jump in this morning. We're going to start with a little bit of a, a history lesson, okay? Now, don't everybody get all excited all at once. I know we just started school back up, but I've been captivated by a story from our history. Um, it took place right around the turn of the century, the 1800s, and um, it's a story of, of two guys, Lewis and Clark. Now, again, you might be familiar with this story, but Lewis and Clark set out to do something really impressive and important. So here's the letter that they got as they started their adventure, and it says to Captain Meriwether Lewis, the, the object of your mission is to explore the Missouri River and such principal stream of it, as by its course and communication with the waters of the Pacific Ocean, may offer the most direct and practicable water communication across this continent for the purpose of commerce. From Thomas Jefferson to Meriwether Lewis. And now what he's saying is, we want you to find what they called at that point a passageway or a communication between the Atlantic and the Pacific, a water passageway all the way across the country. Now, for 300 years, it was sort of common knowledge or common, um, I guess, expectation that this passageway existed. They just believed that it was there. It was very simple. They just should, they had to find it. And so there were groups of people that looked for it, that traveled to different parts of the country, and they were always looking for it, but they just assumed, assumed that it was there. Again, if you paid attention in high school or college, uh, you know what happens next. They, they sailed all the way up the Missouri River, and they get to the headwaters. And instead of finding a stream that would take them down the other side to the Pacific, what they ran into was the Rocky Mountains. This massive, massive group of peaks, 14,000-foot peaks, range after range after range. And it just be, it became clear to them that there was no water passageway. There was no way that there was going to be a stream that sailed simply from the headwaters of the Missouri to the Pacific Ocean. But they didn't stop. See, and here's where it gets intriguing. Because it seems like when you read that, you're like, well, they're supposed to find a passageway to the Pacific Ocean. That was sort of what was understood as their mission. But see, I think as I've read about this story, that there's something that trumps that idea. And it's right there in the first sentence. See, the object of your mission, it says to them, is to explore. They were hoping to find a passageway, but their object of their mission was to explore. More than that, both Clark and Lewis were, by nature, explorers. They, that's what they did. They kept journals. And, and Jefferson knew this about Lewis, that he was an explorer at heart, that he was just about discovery and diving in. And so they knew, they knew that they were explorers First, it informed everything that they did because it was their calling, because they knew who they were, they just kept going. Again, range after range of peaks, 14,000 foot, 13, 14, all of the mountains that they encountered, they kept going. And because they kept going, they logged hundreds of new species. They established trade with dozens of new tribes throughout the American West. And, and a year and a half later, they actually ended up on the shore of the Pacific Ocean in what is now today Oregon. It's a fascinating story. When you start reading the journal entries and you see what kept these guys going, disappointment after disappointment, they just kept going. 
because they knew who they were and they knew why they were here. See, this is my conviction this morning is that when we know who we are, our identity, when we know who we are and we know why we're here, then we will make decisions based on that singular truth. We, when we know who we are and we know why we're here, we will make decisions based on that truth. All right, so question for us this morning is, as followers of Jesus then, what does that mean for us? As people who are doing this Christian thing, what does that mean for us? If we, when we know who we are and what we're here for, we make decisions based on that truth, what does that mean for us? As people who are chosen by God, as those who are loved by God, if that is our primary identity, how does that play out? How much does it inform or shape our lives and our decisions? How much does it inform or shape your life and your decisions day to day? Even when you hit the mountains. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to jump into a passage. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open it up. But this is, we're in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. And Peter is, is a follower of Jesus. In fact, some would say he was one of the closest followers of Jesus. Very tight. And he learned a whole lot through his life about this guy, Jesus. He heard his voice and he followed his ways. And they're just, even though he experienced a ton of mountains up to and including death, Peter just had this conviction. He knew who he was, and he knew why he was here. And so he goes through this this book of 1 Peter. He's writing all this stuff down that he learned, and he goes, I want you to remember that you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, so so that you can declare the goodness of him who called you out of darkness and into light. That's who you are. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And then he gets into uh, chapter 3. That's in chapter 2. And so it says this. It says, finally, all of you, he's kind of wrapping up some of these thoughts. All of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. That's not how Jesus lived. But repay those with a blessing. Because to this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. And then he goes on and he says this, but even if you should suffer for what's right, just remember you're you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But here's the key. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But remember, you're following Jesus. So do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior, they might be ashamed of their slander. For it's better if it's God's will for you to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And then he goes on to say this right at the beginning of chapter 4. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Remember who you are. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. 
as a result, when we remember who we are and why we're here, as a result, we don't live the rest of our earthly lives for our evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. We know who we are. We know why we're here. And it informs all of the choices, all of the decisions, all of the aspects of our life if that is, in fact, our identity. See, this term, Jesus is Lord, or setting apart Jesus as Lord, is kind of a weird term for us because we're so far removed from this in context. But really what it meant was just that, that Christ Jesus is in charge, that he is the authority, that he has say, that we give God the authority, some would argue that it is due him, right? And so it's not just a demand for obedience. See, often in the church, we kind of just make it about a demand for obedience. We follow the religious rules like Scott was talking about earlier, but it is about an identity and it's an inspiration for the way that we live in the world. It's not duty and obligation, but it's an inspiration for the way that we live in the world. There is an authority, yes, about Jesus as your Lord. But there's also this identity piece where you are invited to be known by his name, in his family, part of his tribe on earth. It is meant to shape and inform and inspire every single part of our lives. See, we miss the inspire part because we often get focused on the duty part, on the obedience as obligation part. But when we're just focused there, we miss this whole other side. It's a negative piece, but if Jesus is set apart as Lord in our lives, it changes the dynamic and it changes it in a positive way. Think about this. In application, in your home. How we treat our family should be informed and shaped by the gentleness, by the life, by the grace, by the person of Jesus. We choose love. We choose grace. When Jesus is Lord, or Jesus is Lord of our house, it means that our homes have this atmosphere of joy and security and encouragement, that the foundation of the whole thing is love, even when it's hard, even when it's hard, maybe especially when it's hard, grace and love win in our homes when Jesus is Lord. Take it out a little bit further at work that we choose as followers of Jesus, as those who have set Jesus apart as Lord, we choose integrity and honor over competition and financial gain. We just do. It's who we are, and we remember while we're here. Why we're here, we know. We're known as those who are trustworthy because we would rather be honest and honorable than we would get a little bit of cash in our pockets or win. Spread it out a little bit. Your campus, your campus. When Jesus is Lord on your campus, we go into places with an identity that is secure. We're not looking around to find out if we're accepted or approved, but we walk in and we know who we are. We have a confidence to be light and to lead and not just follow. When Jesus is Lord, we lead. We don't follow. In community, we love and we serve people, even when it's inconvenient. That our posture is like Jesus, our attitude is like Jesus. And we just serve people vulnerably, honestly. We invest in relationships where we choose vulnerability and self-denial. We, in fact, we make other people win because we follow Jesus. 
That's what having Jesus as Lord means in your relationships. In our politics, it means that we choose gentleness and respect, even when we disagree. Even when people come at us with different opinions or choosing to tear you down or tear somebody that's next to you down and say hateful things, we choose the good. We choose the good. See, when Jesus is Lord, when you know who you are and what you're here for, it informs, it inspires, and it transforms every part of your life, or it's meant to. And as a result, we live not for ourselves, Peter says, but we live, we end up living for this bigger purpose, this will of God. See, when Lewis and Clark, this was so captivating about the story, when they hit the first mountain range, all they saw was mountains. In fact, when you read the journals, what you realize is that they had been seeing the Rockies for three months, traveling up the Missouri River. They had seen the Rockies for three months, and they kept going. More mountains, they keep going. More mountains, they keep going. Even when they knew there was no way to get from east to west via water, they kept going because they were explorers. They knew who they were. Every decision, every action, every relationship, through that filter, it was inspired by who they were and why they were here. They were explorers first. In fact, the title that they give themselves uh, as they go on this adventure is the core of discovery. I love that. It wasn't just a team. It wasn't just an outfit or a regiment. It was a core of discovery where they were together. They were in this and they were going to make it to the Pacific and they were going to explore everything along the way. They knew who they were and they knew why they were here. See, that's the invitation that we have as followers of Jesus, to know who we are and why we're here, to have the security of that place in our souls. That's what having Jesus as Lord means, is that we follow him and him alone because we know who he is. And he reminds us who we are. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, he goes on and he says it like this. He goes, this is why we preach not ourselves, but Christ as Lord. And ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. See, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not, not from us. And so we're going to hit mountains, hard-pressed on every side. But you know what? We're not crushed. We, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted even, but we're not abandoned. We know we're not abandoned. We're struck down, we're rejected, but we know we're not destroyed. See, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in our body. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. He is informing every aspect of our life and our purpose. He's shaping every decision. He's inspiring every motive. He has moved in and he has taken over in my heart, and in my life. And in fact, I live for the will of God. See, when Jesus is Lord, we don't just pick and choose when and if we follow because we always carry around the body or the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus might be revealed. 
every part of Jesus, life, death, resurrection, ascension, every part informs every part of us. We, we live out of that identity and our choices, our choices reinforce that identity. They're shaped by that identity. Even when it gets hard, when we hit mountains in our faith, in our relationships, and how we're living differently from the world around us, even when we're maligned, Paul is getting at when Jesus is Lord, when he informs every part of you, then there is a security that rests. Because you're not in charge, but you know the one who is in charge. You're not in control, but you know the one who is in control. And so you can be hard-pressed, but you're not going to be crushed. Circumstances in your life might not line up exactly the way you want. In fact, you might hit some hard stuff. Scratch that. You will hit some hard stuff. You're going to feel confined by pressure. You're going to want to hit the easy button in life. He says, no, if Jesus is Lord, you're going to keep going. You're going to follow. We might be perplexed, he says, but we're not in despair. Look, this is, there, these are confusing issues all around us. Our world is so full of complex stuff. I mean, we, we, I used to think things were simple. They're not simple. Parenting is not simple. Marriage is not simple. Relationships are not simple. Finances are not simple. Even what gets our time and attention today is not simple. Cultural issues are certainly not simple. And man, we need wisdom more than anything else. Wisdom. And so he says, look, we know we're perplexed, but it, we're not in despair because we know the one who is in charge. We're persecuted. We're not abandoned. Now listen, this is, this is a hard one for us to get our heads around because like we think when we stub our toe that we're being persecuted. And the truth is, as followers of Jesus, like that's just not happening. Now, there's some truth to what, that it might be true that you might be maligned for your beliefs in certain cultural areas, right? And, and maybe even face a little bit of persecution. But, like, you're not facing lions, so be encouraged, right? But he says, look, you have to understand, you, you, even when you're persecuted, even when you're dealing with all the tension that comes with that, and in our world right now, there's plenty of tension. See, in many ways, our culture is more or less trying to figure this out because it is, we're becoming what they call more secularized as a culture where we've lost the sort of Judeo-Christian moorings that started, that founded us. And, and like, that's just happening, right? It's not even a value statement, it just is. And so part of what the church and Christians are trying to do is to figure out what does it look like to navigate this new landscape? In, in, to borrow the analogy, like, what does it look like to canoe when you're in the mountains? When you're used to traveling by water, but now you've got to figure out what, what to do in the mountains, Right? Well, we're in the mountains as, a, as, as an organization, as a church, as a people of God, because more and more the culture is choosing things that, that don't necessarily line up with what God says. And so it's just challenging. There's a tension. I was listening to NPR the other day, and there's this Christian group, I think it was in Louisiana, and they were, um, they're protesting because they found some books in the library that had some really objectionable material in them, right? And so they, of course, went full footloose and were like, we're going to burn these and throw them out and all this stuff, and, or at least that's how it was reported, 
right, on NPR. They're saying, yeah, these Christians are really bad people. In fact, they are for censorship. They're all about the censorship. And, and there's, you know, Christians can be knuckleheads, right? So there may be some truth to that, but the reality is I'm sure that there's a lot more nuance in that conversation. In fact, if we started with a question instead of just bold assertions where we're so convinced that we're right and the other people are idiots, we would ask the question, like, what should we protect our kids from? Like, what age is it appropriate for them to see pornographic material in the library, public library? We don't want censorship because nobody wins in that case, but at least we should ask the question, at what age is this appropriate? Maybe we create a space in the library that is for adults only. That way nobody loses out. You want to go look at magazines that have graphic content? Great. Your prerogative. But we're going to, you know, like keep the kids out of that room. If we started with the question with gentleness and respect, like we might actually make some headway. That's not the MO of our culture right now. Everybody's just shouting on the top of their lungs, what is right and what is true what, in their belief system. I mean, there's so much crazy stuff going on right now. But the question for us, even in the face of persecution, is are we willing, as followers of Jesus, if he is Lord, to handle it with gentleness and respect? That's what having Jesus as Lord means being able to answer questions that come our way, even if those questions come in the form of accusation. We're struck down, we're rejected, but it doesn't destroy us. See, this is the beauty of following Jesus. When we know who we are and we know why we're here, even if somebody rejects us, it doesn't rock us at the core of who we are because we know we're loved. We know we're embraced by the God of heaven. And so we can take rejection without it destroying us. See, when we set apart Jesus as the Lord, it means we give him the authority to influence and shape every part of us, even when it gets hard, even when our faith is challenged, even when we're tempted even when it gets complicated, even when the, when the Bible, the stuff in here, doesn't make sense or it doesn't line up with the cultural narrative. Then we go, no, I, I don't know, but Jesus is Lord. I can't change that God is real and that he is ultimately in charge. So I'm going to set apart Jesus as Lord, not out of obligation. And this is the key point. Remember, not out of obligation. We set apart Jesus as Lord with a sense of expectancy because we believe God is good. We believe no matter what happens, whether our circumstances are dark, whether people are, have rejected us, whatever the circumstance, we believe in God's goodness and that he will make all things right. That's what setting apart Jesus as Lord means. Paul says, we, carry, we always carry around the death of Jesus in our body so that we can declare the goodness of God, the life of Jesus in our body. See, another, Paul says in Romans 8, and I wanted to read this because it's so powerful. He goes, look, if you are led by the Spirit of God. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. They're part of God's family. They get their identity and their direction from Him. 
you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, regardless of the mountains, regardless of the circumstances. You received a spirit of sonship, of daughtership. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. We cry out, Daddy. And then the Spirit himself, God himself, testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. In other words, God speaks to us. He talks. He reminds us who we are. He puts his arms around us and embraces us and says, you know what? You might be rejected here, but you will never be rejected here with me. We can keep going after him because he is our source. He is our light. He is our salvation, like we read in the psalm earlier. So here's the question for us this morning. Just as, you know, it's... it's, Simple to sit on a Sunday morning and just listen. But here's the question. To what degree in your own life have you set apart Jesus as Lord? To what degree does the presence of God, of Jesus in your life, inform and inspire and shape the decisions that you make? Is it sort of tangential thought that's out there? Or do you carry around in your body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in your body? See, that's the invitation. That when we carry around Jesus in us, when he is Lord, that it changes the atmosphere around us. It changes our lives, but it changes the lives of the people around us. So does he have authority? Does he have influence in every part of your life? And if not, why? What parts of your life are you holding back from God and not letting him be Lord over? See, maybe this morning is a chance to let that go. If you're here, there's a reason, as I said before. Maybe this is a chance to just let that go and be like, Jesus, I, I, I don't understand all this, but I'm going to say you are Lord of my life this morning. I want you to inspire me in a new way. Help me see things as you see them. So maybe this morning is just that chance for you to let go of whatever you're holding back from God and let him have authority over it. Maybe, maybe there's some mountains that you're facing in your life right now, some challenges that are coming up. It, you might have even seen them coming for months on end. Maybe this morning is a chance to just go, you know what? I'm going to keep going because I believe who God has made me to be. I believe in his goodness and I believe in the end that he will work all things for the good of those who've loved him and are called according to his purposes. And maybe this morning is a chance to share that with somebody the mountains that you see or the mountains that you're in. See, this is why we gather around here for worship. We gather for worship because we want to create a space in our week where we can gather together and cry, Abba, Father, together. Well, how we see it around here is that we want to continually, continually reorient around Jesus as Lord. 
That's the purpose of our worship. When we get into this place, it's a chance to come in here, sliding in from the week, as it were, crawling sometimes. But it's a chance to come here and to set a pin in the ground again and go, Jesus, I'm going to set you apart as Lord. Be with me. That's the purpose of our worship. That's the purpose of why we gather. We can do that alone on our own in our room, just reading our scripture, our Bible. That's fine. But when you set apart Jesus as Lord, you realize you don't have to do it alone. And that's why we gather here. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to go into a time, uh, back into a time of worship and communion and just celebrating this together. And, and I would encourage you, as is our posture of, of late, like if you have a need, if there's a mountain that you're facing, like go ask somebody to pray for you. If you know somebody has a mountain that they're facing, go pray for them. Put your arm around them, stand next to them, encourage them. We're creating an atmosphere in this place where we are together in this, where we're together setting apart Jesus as Lord, even, maybe especially when we hit the mountains. So everyone here has a mountain that they're facing in some way, shape, or form. Why not take this moment as we sing this song, as we reorient ourselves around Jesus as Lord, to just take each other in the same direction? Let's pray. Father, we give you praise this morning for your word, that it is so true, that when we set you apart as Lord Jesus, it is not out of duty and obligation, but it is with expectancy, because we believe that you are good. We believe that you are good. And so this morning, Lord, as we continue on, as we take communion, as we pray over one another, we just continue to invite you to have your way in us and in this space. Holy Spirit, we believe that you are here and operating in our midst. You are in us, you are working through us, and you are among us. So we give you permission this morning, God, to have your way, to continue to have your way because Jesus, you are our Lord. We need you. So we offer all of this in your name.